Good morning, everyone. Um, those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Joe Simon, and um, I am honored and privileged to be speaking to you this morning and to speaking to those um, by stream and to those who may watch this video at la a later time. Um, I want to add one name to the veterans list. Uh, George King uh, was in the Navy, so he needs to be on that list as well of all that we pray for. And I also want to personally thank all that have served and ask a blessing on all the families of all those we remember today that served to protect our country. But our country is going to be protected by Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, no military is effective. So um, let's get into our message this morning, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's pray first to Heavenly Father. Um, you have something to say to us this morning, um, maybe something that we have not been as a church, as a church nationwide and worldwide, we have not been paying attention to. Um, Lord, help us to redirect our attention uh, to uh, this message of your imminent return. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, clear our minds this morning of anything that uh, would distract us. And Lord, uh, that you would make us right, uh, cleanse us, as your word says, forgive us, cleanse us, uh, because you are faithful and just to do so. And um, fill us with your spirit, Lord. And we cannot understand your word unless you empower us by your spirit to do so. So uh, that is our prayer this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John 14, verses 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you also may be where I am. It's a very interesting invitation that our Lord gives to his disciples who would be in charge of making converts of the whole world. I'm going to read off a list of perspectives I call the index to this message. Um, this is a very controversial subject, the return of Christ. There are many different variables uh, that have been superimposed over the scripture. And uh, I would just like you to keep in mind these perspectives on the imminent return of Christ. The imminent return of Christ has a lot to do with the character of Jesus. So any perspective that goes against the character of Jesus can't really be a valid perspective. Uh, he says he will do what he says and he will not change. So if Jesus, if I'm going to read you a verse and Jesus said it, he's going to do it. He's not going to change. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to vary it. All right. He's gracious and merciful, but he is also just. That plays into this topic. He paid a price for our redemption. And that you can see in Revelation chapter 5, the, the lamb who was slain. Um, he loves us and he desires our love. Now, who's us? I'm talking about the church. So that is the next thing that we have. The next perspective, the second perspective would be, what does the word of God say about the church? Well, first of all, the church is not the world. We know that. 
And the church is also not Israel. Israel is uh, always mentioned separately from the church in the New Testament. There is no place in the New, in the New Testament that says that the Israel has become the church. There's Israel, there's, there's the Jews, the Gentiles, and there's the church. It is a different group of people. And so there are names for the church. The Bride of Christ, the Redeemed, the Body of Christ, His Flock, the Church of the Living God, the Pillar and the Ground of the Truth. These are, these are special names that he gives to the church. And I'm going to concentrate a lot on the first one that I read you in that list, which is the bride of Christ. It is very important for us to understand what God taught us about marriage to understand the return of Christ. The return of Christ has a lot to do with marriage. That's the third perspective I want you to keep in mind. He will come for his church as a bridegroom comes for his bride. The manner in which this is done is displayed in Scripture over and over again. What are the criteria for a marriage that are laid out in Scripture? We see in, in the Old Testament, um, covenant is established. Marriage is a covenant. Uh, there's a purchase price. There's a dowry. The bride is set apart. The bridegroom leaves for his father's house. And then an entourage accompanies him when he returns for his bride. This is all talking about marriage. But it's starting to sound like the return of Christ because it has everything to do with the return of Christ. And most importantly... We see in the New Testament that when the bridegroom comes for his bride, it is suddenly. There is not a set time. Can you imagine, ladies, when you got married that, you know, you couldn't set a day? You couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you know, your, your fiancé would just show up and say, it's today, it's now, let's go. Okay? And um, as, as I was learning about this, um, I also learned that because it was suddenly, the ceremony was very lightly attended. It was usually just the closest family, and then the, the bride and the groom would enter into the chamber and consummate the marriage, and then the feast, the reception, <laughs> would take place. And we see that in Scripture. We see that with the, the return of Christ for his bride. We see all of those things. And scripture verses are coming. I'm just going over the index, right? Okay. Um, so feasts. It's very important when you're talking about the return of Christ to look at the Jewish feasts that are laid out in Leviticus 23. The important one we, we want to we look at is the Feast of Trumpets. But there are four feasts that precede the Feast of Trumpets. There's the Passover. The unleavened bread, the first fruits, and Pentecost. And I will tell you that better people than me, Messianic Jewish rabbis, those are rabbis that, are, that have faith in Christ, that know the Old Testament better than I do, better than all of us do, that they, have, they know the feasts that are talked about and have likened them to the events that have taken place in the New Testament. And so far, four of the seven feasts took place in order. The Passover, the unleavened bread, which they liken to the, the burial of Christ, the first fruits, which is the resurrection of Christ, and Pentecost. We know what Pentecost is. It's when the church was, was uh, initiated. The next feast was always months and months away from the first four feasts. It was a longer period of time. Between the, the, the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets was a long time. Um, the, Jew, the Hebrew for the Feast of Trumpets is Yom Truah in Leviticus 23-24. One of the things that was said about the Feast of Trumpets 
was that no one would know the day or the hour because the Feast of Trumpets could not be uh, started at a specific time because they had to wait for the new moon. The Jewish calendar is based on the new moon, on 30-day cycles, and they didn't know exactly what day or hour the new moon would appear. And when it did, that was the beginning of the Feast of the Trumpets. It, no one knew the day or the hour. It started with a fanfare of trumpets. Um, as I said, there was, it was always a long interval between the fourth feast and the fifth feast. It included a shout. The beginning of the Feast of Trumpets included a shout. We see that in Job 38.7, um, uh, that the angels shout in heaven. Angels like to shout. Um, we know in modern days that the Feast of Trumpets is referred to as Rosh Hashanah. Okay, that is the, the, the Jewish New Year. Um, it is, uh, it is in Isaiah twenty seven thirteen. it suggests that on the day of trumpets, the Lord returns and raises the dead. And the last trumpet refers to the longest blast. I think, believe there was a hundred trumpet blasts, but the last one was the longest one. So when you hear the phrase last trumpet, it means the, the longest blast, which then begins the Feast of the Trumpets. If we look in Exodus um, chapter 19, verses uh, 20, 19 and 20, I'm sorry, Heather, I didn't give you this one. Um, we see this. Um, verse 19 of chapter 19. And the sound of a trumpet grew louder and louder. This is, this is at the bottom of Mount Sinai. The Jews are, are, are gathered around Mount Sinai. The Lord has come down. There's fire. There's smoke. The people are trembling. And there's this trumpet sound. And then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So there's a trumpet sound, and then Moses is called up to the top of the mountain. Keep that in mind. So, four perspectives, the character of Jesus, the description of the church, marriage, and the feasts. Keep those in mind as I read you all the verses that talk about the return of Christ. The last thing I want, perspective I want you to keep in mind while we're talking about the, uh, the um, return of Christ is the doctrine of imminence. What is the doctrine of imminence? Well, imminence means right away, right? When we see the words in the New Testament, quickly, or I come soon, it's not a time interval, like uh, it's only going to be a few minutes. It means suddenly. The, 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 the Greek is uh, sudden, suddenly, word for suddenly. So when Jesus says, I come soon, uh, or I come quickly, we know from Second uh, Peter verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, that people have scoffed at this and said, you must, Peter said, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and made by water. And he goes on to describe the, the flood and the destruction of mankind with the flood. And what the point is, is that if you hear people suggesting that you shouldn't believe that Christ is going to be coming soon uh, because 2,000 years isn't soon, well, that's because they don't understand that he said, I'm coming suddenly. And you can wait 2,000 years and then come suddenly. So there's no problem with the scripture saying that he comes soon. No one, again, no one knows the day or the hour. Keep that in mind. You'll hear that in all the verses. No one knows the day and the, of the hour. Jesus said, I come like a thief in the night in many places. I will show you where he says that. Okay, so we know 
one of the things he's trying to tell us is that he's coming like a thief in the night and that, of course, if you knew a thief was coming, you'd be ready for him. So it has to do with being surprised. We get that. What about the thief part? I come like a thief. Well, what? He said, like a thief. He didn't say, I am coming because I am a thief. He said, I will come like a thief. Well, what does a thief do? A thief comes into a place and he takes what he wants and then he leaves. That's important. Okay? So I want you to keep all of those things in mind um, as we, as I go through all the verses that I see, that I, that I, more than, more than what I'm going to tell you this morning, but all the verses that um, have to do with the coming of Christ imminently. I read John 14, verses 2 and 3. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, gathered, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily disconcerted or alarmed by any spirit or message or letter seeming to be from us, alleging that the day of the Lord had already come. Now, that happened in, in Paul's time. He's, he's telling us here that that happened. But it's happened. There are people that believe that we're already in the kingdom and the Lord has come and he's here and I don't know about you, but I don't think this world looks like Jesus is king uh, of, this, of this present world that we live in. Um, notice, again, in that first verse, we uh, and are being gathered to him. Right? Like a thief, right? Gather up all the spoils. And 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 in John 14, uh, as I read the first, he says, I, I, will, I will go and prepare a place for you, and I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you also may be where I am. We get the idea that this event is not Jesus coming down and setting up his kingdom here, that he is gathering us and taking us where he is. Now, some people... Maybe nobody in this room, maybe, maybe some people watching by video, they're, they're, they've, they've learned something different. I want you to be patient with this message. Don't turn off the video. Um, nobody's walking out, good. Um, because, yes, this is controversial. There are those that will say that, oh, no, this, this, this gathering event is Revelation 19. There are a lot of differences between this gathering event. Some of you are out there saying, when is he going to say the word rapture? When is he going to say the word rapture? I'm trying not to. Because there is the, there is the argument that the word rapture doesn't literally, isn't literally in, in, the, in the New Testament. And they're right. The word rapture, you should know that. Don't ever say, well, the Bible says the rapture. The Bible does not use the literal word rapture. It does not. I will show you where that comes from that is in the New Testament. But people get hung up, and there's a lots of fighting and controversy over this word rapture. And there shouldn't be. Let's not use the word rapture. We can still use the word gathering. We can still use the word being caught up. That is biblical. I already read you gathering. That is in the New Testament. So let's use what's in the New Testament and uh, make the case. All right. So let's let's ignore people that are saying the Lord has already come. That's what Thessalonians is saying. Uh, let's ignore the scoffers that say, oh, you know, come on. It's been 2000 years. Because that's what the scripture tells us. I'm not telling you to do that. Scripture's telling you. You don't like what I'm saying. You don't like what Peter was, Peter inspired by the Holy Spirit said, or Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit said. Um, nice verse, Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
Then you also will appear with him in glory. Remember what I said? I want you to keep some of these things in mind. Jesus is the bridegroom. Here it says, Jesus, who is your life. When he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Jesus has no desire to beat up and bestow his wrath on the church. And he said so. He has no desire. Many times when I bring up that point, and I will show you in scripture where it says that, that God will not allow the church to experience wrath, people say, what are you talking about? We have, people have been, you know, put to death. People have been tortured. I know that. But... You have to look at the source. That is persecution. And sorry to say, the church will experience persecution. Maybe not sorry to say, because it does tell us that persecution does make us stronger. Persecution does uh, uh, help us to draw closer to Christ. Persecution and suffering. And I would bet that most of you have probably drawn closer to Christ in your life during times of persecution and suffering than when there was no persecution and suffering. I am not saying anything some of these bad teachers are saying that if you're a Christian and you have faith, you will not suffer, you will not be in bad health, you will not, you know, you will not uh, run out of money or whatever. I'm not saying that. Because that's not what the scripture says. Scripture says we as the church will be persecuted and we will suffer. But the source of that persecution and that suffering comes from the devil and the world. That's important to keep in mind that the source of persecution and suffering comes from the devil and the world. When we talk about the wrath of God... And you see the wrath of God in Revelation going all the way from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 18. When you see the wrath of God, that comes from God. And that is, not, that is what the word of God is telling us we, the church, will not experience. I'm going to skip down to where it says that since I just made the point. In 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God tells us, God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what I said about the character of Jesus? If he says something, he will do it. He will not change his mind. He won't say, well, you know, when I said that, I didn't think they were going to be this bad. They need some of my wrath. I didn't. No, he won't do that. He won't do that. And the wrath is different. The wrath of God is Judgment. What did Jesus do on the cross? He took that punishment he, for us. He, he, he experienced the wrath of God on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he became sin. Galatians 3.13 says he became the curse of the law. The curse of the law is the punishment for sin. He took that on the cross. Why would he take all of that for us and then say, well, you know what? You need a little bit of this. He's not going to do that. He said he's not going to do that. So the church will not experience his wrath. John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Where is Jesus Not right now, aside from in our hearts? Where is he where we, we will see him? He's in the throne room of heaven. Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5. If, if you haven't studied those two chapters, study them. Because... That is where two things happen. That is where we see Jesus in his glory on the throne. And we also see the ceremony of the, the lamb who was slain taking the scroll to open the scroll to start the judgment of, of the earth. And John 
as he's witnessing this, gets so upset before Jesus takes the scroll, gets so upset because it says no one in heaven and earth is able to take the scroll, which is the deed to the earth, which is, is the ownership. We know that from the book of Ruth, that there is, there is a deed to the earth and only, only the owner of the deed can open that, that deed and open that scroll. And we see that in Revelation chapter 5, John, for a moment, doesn't realize that anybody can open this, which means the world that was handed over to Satan when Adam sinned will never be redeemed. And there's no hope for mankind. And there's no hope for the world. And then the lamb who has the marks of Lord steps forward and takes the scroll. And then the people sing, Thou have redeemed us. Now, why would God have this ceremony that celebrates Jesus redeeming us without the people who he redeemed being there? I try to understand why people say the church isn't there. The church is there. The church is there around the throne. And this is what Jesus is saying when he says, I, I want you to... Uh, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. All of a sudden, worship breaks out. The cherubim, the seraphim, the angels, and all that gather around worship the lamb who was slain. Of course he'd want the church there. Of course he would. Well, you know, I'm celebrating, you know, you know, the fact that I redeemed you, but, you know, you're still on the earth. No. No, they're there. We are there. The church is there. Um, important to note that in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus addresses the seven churches. And there's various perspectives of the seven churches. There, there are seven kinds of churches. There are seven church ages and so on and so forth. But after the end of chapter 3, there's no mention of the church in, in, six, and, and, uh, in uh, 6 through 18, when all these horrible things are happening on the earth, something to keep in mind. So when Jesus says, I want, I, I want, Father, I want them to be where I am, he's talking about the throne room that is described in Revelation chapter 4 and the ceremony where the, the lamb takes the scroll and is worthy to open the scroll. John, First uh, John, chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears... We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Keep that in mind. We will be like him. Looking around the room, I don't think any of us right now are like Jesus. I don't think that we are in immortal bodies. Anybody here in an immortal body? Okay. I don't think any of us are in immortal bodies. Okay. We will be when he appears we're gonna we're gonna i'm gonna show you some verses that are even more specific about that but we will be like him when he appears second corinthians 4 verse 14 he who raised the lord jesus will raise us also with jesus and bring us bring us with you into his presence so he will he will raise us and bring us into his presence. He will be bringing us somewhere. These are the light ones. The heavier scriptures are coming. I I promise you. Um, Here's a verse that has to do with the marriage perspective. In Ephesians chapter 5, the chapter that most married couples avoid because they don't want to see their responsibility in their marriage. Um, husbands, love your, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. We love that one, right, women? Wives, submit to your husbands. It's like, Lord, how could I submit to this guy? And then husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And if guys, if you're married and you're reading that correctly, it means Jesus entered into the world of the bride and he suffered and died there. So husbands, love your wives enter into their world and suffer and die there. Okay, that's, that's, not, that's not a mistranslation, okay? But there is a 
a, a description of a relationship there. But then Paul says something really, really cool. In verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 5, he says, this is a profound mystery. I am speaking, everything he's describing of marriage, he says, I am speaking of Christ and the church. I am speaking of Christ and the church. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us more than we can imagine. He's not going to let us, he's not, you know, I, I, I imagined a building that a man built, okay? And he realizes this building is, is not safe anymore. He has to destroy it, okay? But he realizes that his, his bride wandered into the building, or maybe he told her, he says, go look in this, in this building. It's horrible. I just want you to see it before I destroy it. Is he going to destroy the building while she's in there? No, he's going to take her out of the building before he destroys it. If a man who loves his bride would never destroy the building around his bride with her in it. I am speaking about Christ and the church. The church. He loves the church. He calls the church his bride. Keep that in mind when you're talking about the imminent return of Christ. He's coming for his bride. And that speaks a lot of in the manner he's going to be coming for his church. Matthew chapter 25 verses 1 through 13 uh, says this. um, At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Do you remember that oil is a type of the Holy Spirit? Just keep that in mind as, as I keep reading here. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they were all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom. Then, then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there are not enough for both of us and you, and, and, and you. so instead go to, to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But, they, but while they were... But while they were while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were all were ready went in went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other foolish virgins came and they said, Sir, sir, open the door for us. And he said, But I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Now, these were people expecting the return of the bridegroom. And yet five of them didn't have oil. Now we know that when you come to salvation in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. So those who have not come to Christ, those who have not received the Holy Spirit will not go with the bridegroom. That's what it says. So there's a, there is a, a reference to the return with reference to marriage. Titus 2, verse 13, we await the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a place, this is the place where it's called the blessed hope. Blessed hope, the blessed hope we're going to be, you know, um, um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are going to come. We're going to see death and destruction, and then we're going to see locusts chewing on us, and we're going to see the, the sun darkened and the, and, the, and, the wa- and the water turned to blood. That's the blessed hope? No. The blessed hope is, is, that the, is the glorious appearance of our God and Savior Jesus Christ when he gathers his church. 2 Corinthians 11.2, For I promised you to one husband, he's Paul talking to the Corinthian church, I promised you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So the church is, again, the bride of Christ presented to Christ because of the, the cleansing of the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to, to 
understand God's word, we will be presented as a pure virgin before Christ. Isn't that a great thing to think about, that when we stand before Christ, we will be presented as a pure virgin? Um, I know that we all struggle with that, that, oh, but I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I, don't, I, know, the, you know, I, I know the Lord's forgiven me, but I don't know. Like, he might really still remember, and I don't know. I still may be held accountable. If you understand how Jesus feels, how Jesus, what Jesus says about you, you will know that he's forgiven you, he's cleansed you, he loves you, he's being gracious and merciful, and he throws our sins as far as east is from west, which means he remembers them no more. So then we are clean before him and pure before him. Luke seventeen thirty four. I tell you that on that night... Now we're getting into some of the details of the event. On that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Taken. Right? That's what it says. Taken. So one's gone. One's left. One wakes up and the other one says, where's the other guy? Where's, where's, where's my wife? Where's my husband? All right? Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. That sounds sudden to me. I think it should sound sudden to you too. It's, a, it's an event that happens like that. I'll say in the twinkling of an eye. But I didn't say that. The scripture says it. I'll get to that. Job 19.26. This is just a way of referring to what is... What is going to happen to us at the gathering when Christ comes for his church, when he gathers his church? Um, Job says, even though, even after my skin has been destroyed, my flesh has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. So Job is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Job is saying that when we see God, we will be in our flesh. Maybe Job didn't understand what we have available, but he understood enough that we would not be, you know, wispy ghost uh, spirits, that we would be flesh. We would be in a body. Maybe not this body, but a new body. Job understood that. Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Pretty straightforward. That has to do with marriage. The bride has made herself ready for the, the, the marriage of the lamb. So let me read for you now um, Matthew, about 12 verses in Matthew. Starting with verse 36, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the son of man. What happened in the days of Noah? One day it started to rain and it didn't stop. No one knew when the day it was going to start raining. For in the days before the flood, the people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And up to the day of Noah, up to, up to the day Noah entered the ark, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be at the grinding uh, hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of the night the thief was, was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So you remember last week, Chuck made a joke that I would tell you exactly when the Lord would be coming, right? Yeah. I'm going to tell you. When you least expect him. <laughs> that's, a, that's scriptural, right? Um, I, ha I have something to say about the whole litany of people who have made predictions like this. I have something to say about that later. Um, 
Who then is faithful in the wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food and at the proper time? It will be good for the servant whose master finds him doing. So when he returns, I will tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. And then he goes on to describe the ones that are not doing what he told them to be doing when he comes. This is reiterated in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. I'm going to read it because there are some slight extra details. No one knows the day or the hour. How many times have, have this, has the scripture said that already? No one knows the day or the hour. You would think these guys would have... Anyway, uh, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge with each with his assigned task and tells the one at the door to keep watch. That's interesting. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. That's Marx, who was, you know, um, working with Peter on his gospel. All right. Um, and Luke 12. I'm sorry if, if you're, you're saying, well, you're reading the same things over and over again. That, that's the point. <laughs> the point is, is that this is said over and over again in the New Testament. 35, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. That's different than the, the previous two. Uh, but understand this. If the owner of the house had not known what hour the thief was coming, would he not have let his house be broken into? You must also be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Again, reference to a thief, middle of the night, which is when people are sleeping. All of these descriptions of Actually, they're warnings to be ready. I don't know what the the Bible says there. I don't know if the word of God says it says be ready at all times. Watch in Luke. It's a watch. Be ready. Be watching. Um, First Thessalonians four. This is um, this is a good one. This is one of the best ones that we have for. for the gathering, for the, for the catching away of the church. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. By the word of the Lord, we declare to you that we who are alive and remain until the coming of our Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. We will not precede those who have died, meaning there was some confusion um, that um, those pe- the people were dying, Christians were dying, and they were like, are they going to be, they expected the imminent return of Christ. If they're dead, are they going to be, you know, is the Lord going to come back for them if they're dead? And, and, and the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is putting this issue to rest. We will not proceed those who have for, fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, remember, Angels shouting, remember that? With a loud command, the voice of an archangel. We, we saw angels uh, before. And with the trumpet of God, feast of trumpets, all right? And the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. I, I, I really um, liked um, John MacArthur's little joke on this. He says, they have to rise first because they have about six feet more to go. It's funny. Um, The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, pay attention. After we see the graves opening and our departed brothers and sisters who look really good now in their risen bodies. Okay. After that, we who are alive and remain 
will be caught up. Now that's the English, caught up. I'm going to talk about that. Will be caught up together with them. So they started six feet from underground and they're, now, they're, now they're with us. And now we are caught up with them in the, in the clouds, in the clouds, in the clouds. Not here. We're, what are we, why are we going up to the clouds? To meet the Lord in the air. Well, isn't Jesus coming down to set up his kingdom? Not at this event. Not at this event. We are going up to meet the Lord in the air. And, and um, the word for caught up there in the Greek, as it is written in the New Testament, is harpazo. And harpazo means to be caught up or like a kid's standing on a train track and a train is coming. You harpazo them off the train track. Okay? And so that's what that, that word caught up is in the scripture. Now, what, where do we get the word rapture from? Well, when harpazo was translated into Latin, I believe it was Jerome, uh, the Latin word for harpazo is raptus. It's where we get the word rapture. So people like to say, well, you know, the word rapture is not in the scripture. Well, harpazo is. So change your vocabulary. Say, we're not going to be raptured. We're going to be harpazoed. We're going to be what? Harpazoed. Because that's what scripture says. We're going to be caught up. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Well, why in the air? Because in Revelation chapter 4, after God gets done talking to all the churches, you know what he says to John? He says this, Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. After this, after the seven churches, I looked and I saw a door standing up in he- uh, open in heaven and a voice I had previously heard speak to me like a trumpet saying, come up here. I will show you what must happen after these things. After what things? Well, chapter 2 and chapter 3 just spent two whole chapters. Jesus just spent two whole chapters telling John how he feels about the churches, the seven lampstands. And then after that, John goes up to heaven. And guess what he sees in verse 4? There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Seven lampstands. By the way, if you don't believe me that the seven lampstands are, Jesus says in chapter 1 of Revelation, the seven lampstands are the church. Chapter 4. They're in heaven. The seven lampstands. So, what, what, what do we have? And, and so, again, um, we have, uh, we, we, we've seen this from the character of Jesus. We've seen this from what he says about the church. We've seen it from the, 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 the context of marriage. We've seen it from the, the um, perspective of the feasts of trumpets. We've seen it from the perspective of imminence. These are all describing imminence. So what happens? Why, why do people still get confused? Well, to try to help uh, understand some of the context of this, we have to go back to when I was last teaching, and that is the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, if you want to know about the first 483 years, go and watch my video from March 28th to 2021. I describe how that whole prophecy um, has to do with the first coming of Christ, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Okay. But then, and I even said in that message, I'm not going to talk about the, the, the last seven years of that prophecy, because that would be a whole nother, you know, hour and a half. And uh, I'm not going to take an hour and a half today, but that's what I'm doing today. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a little about those last seven years, those seven years as described in Daniel chapter 9, are to bring about repentance, bring about correction to the nation of Israel. They, it is pronounced, it is a judgment that is pronounced on the nation of Israel. Seven more years that have not happened yet. 
And so uh, if the first 483 years were the literal 483 years, then it's really not a good policy to say, well, I don't know, the seven, it might not be seven years. No, that's seven years because the first 483 years of that prophecy was 483 years. So if Daniel says that there are seven more years of judgment on Israel, then there's seven more years of judgment on Israel. Why am I bringing this up? Because it's judgment on Israel and it's judgment on the world. And the church isn't going to be part of that judgment. No. Is it a coincidence that it's seven years in Daniel and the, the, the book of Revelation calls the tribulation a seven-year period? I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's what it is. And Jesus even refers to that in the, in the, in the, um, in the Gospels um, in one place. I don't know exactly where, but he says, I, I, oh, it's in Matthew 20. Is it in Matthew 24 where he says the prophet Daniel spoke about? Um, I, I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I think it's in. I think it's in Matthew. Uh, oh yes, it is. Here I. Oh, okay. Thank you, Lord. So, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place an abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the read, reader understand. That is not. That is talking about the Antichrist. That is talking about a world leader who will rule the world against Christ, Antichrist. At that time, that Christ-rejecting world will suffer the wrath of God. The church is not part of that. And if you read chapter 6 in Revelation to chapter 18, we don't see anything. We do see saints that are martyred during that time. But we do not see the church mentioned. And if you want to know who those saints who are martyred are, study Revelation chapter 7 with me. I would be glad to show you who they are. Um, actually, the elder says to John, these are the ones who were, came out of the Great Tribulation. So I don't know what the mystery is. They, they came out of the Great Tribulation. They're martyred during the Great Tribulation. Um, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I just mentioned Antichrist. And people go, oh, somebody's talking about the Antichrist. Um, well, um, Second, Second Thessalonians chapter seven says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but one he only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So there, what we are seeing in the world right now is the restrained version of evil. Who is the one that will be taken out of the way? The Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit in the in the church. Of, in the body of Christ is taken out of the way, then the man of lawlessness will have free reign to do whatever he wants. And if we look in chapter six, the first thing he does is spread false teaching. The second thing he does is starts wars. And the third thing, there's famine, there's pestilence, there's earthquakes, there is death and destruction. Well, how do you know that's, you know, well, look at the book of Job. Look at what the unrestrained devil did to Job when God gave him permission. That is the nature of Satan. He comes to kill and to destroy. Now, will God want his bride to be a victim of that? I don't think so. Um, just... Just so that you hear it one more time, 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, You are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Just one more thief in the night verse. Luke 21.35 and 36 says this, It will come upon those who live on the face of the whole earth. What? What will come upon? Read the first 35, chapter, 35 verses of chapter 21. Jesus describes this whole this whole mess and destruction is it already 1130 oh i gotta finish okay wow all right i'm gonna go real quick so it will come upon the whole face of the earth so keep watch at all times and pray that you have the strength to escape 
to escape all that is about to happen and to stand before the Son of Man. That sounds like you're escaping and standing before the Son of Man. 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now, that is a really good sign to put on the children's nursery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. That's a good way to remember that verse. Um, But we will not all die. Some of us will be changed. We we talked about that in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. In an instant. That sounds like an, an instant sounds like a really, really short period of time. In the twinkling of an eye. Again, really short period of time. Revelation 19 doesn't happen in an instant. Revelation 19, Jesus comes back with his saints. He does war with with the armies of the Antichrist. He sets up his kingdom. That doesn't happen in an instant. So this must be a different event. The trumpet will sound, trumpet. Dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable we clothed with imperishable, the mortal with immortality. In Revelation chapter 5, they sang a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. He has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. He has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 1.6, he has made us kings and priests unto God and his father. The church is destined to be reign with Christ as kings and priests. Isn't that a great, great promise? This is the mystery, verse 20, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. This is the mystery. The seven stars of the angels are the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so that's the reference on that. So to conclude, how do we assure, how, do we, how are we assured that our faith is in Christ? Oh, well, you know, just, you know, I know Jesus died on the cross. It's not enough to just know Jesus died on the cross. Romans 6, verses 5 and 6 says, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him. You don't like that one? How about Galatians? I have been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. We need to go to the cross of Christ, not physically crucify ourselves. We, some, some crazy people have done that. That's not what it's talking about here. We need to go to the cross of Christ and be crucified. Our, the Lordship right now, if you are on the Lord, if you are the Lord of your life, you sit on the, your, the throne of your, your life and you make decisions apart from Christ, you are the Lord of your life. He is not the Lord of your life. You need to take that Lord that sits on the throne of your life that is making all the wrong decisions and believing all the wrong things and go to the cross and let that Lord, you, die there, crucified with Christ so that you can be risen to eternal life with Christ. All right. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Any man is in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Romans 12 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right. I have for the purpose of, and, and all of you should watch the video of this because I know I gave you a lot of verses then with the video, you pause it and you look them up. Great tribulation is coming. There is a great tribulation coming. Here are the verses for that. Matthew 24, 21, Mark 13, 19, Zephaniah 1, 14, Daniel 12, 1, and Jeremiah 37, which he gives a little description that that great tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble which is not good news for Israel. What is the purpose of the great tribulation? To bring Israel to repentance. And then when the nation of Israel repents, the nation, we know that there are Jews that have come to faith in Christ. They're part of the church. The unbelieving nation of Israel will one day recognize Christ as their Messiah. They will recognize him whom they have pierced, Zechariah 12, 9. They will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. When that happens, Christ returns for Israel and he saves Israel. 
That's Revelation 19. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the verses that you showed us in your word today. And, and Lord, that, that we may sow these into our hearts and minds, that you would sow them into our hearts and minds by the power of your spirit, Lord, to transform us into the image of your son, Lord, that we would be that pure virgin bride presented to you, Lord, um, so that, Lord, that we would be ready, um, that we would be ready for when you come back to gather your church and bring your bride to you where you are so that we can then celebrate your victory and glorify you in the chamber and give you the glory and praise and honor that you deserve with the, with the cherubim, the seraphim, and the elders. Lord, that you would, you would be patient until the fullness of the Gentiles that you would not lose one. Lord, that everyone that you want will come to you. Lord, let us be part of that. Help us to be part of that. Help us to share what we've learned today. Let us not worry about other people's feelings. Lord, help us to to just share the truth in love so that people will come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Joe.